0: Welcome
1: to Murder in the Black, with Steph and M.D.
0: Welcome back to Murder in the Black, it is your host Steph, and I'm M.D. And... We're back. We are back. We're back for for the
1: last of our sports episode. Yes, the last of our p- sports series. Yes. Very excited to wrap it up and I think we're wrapping it up with a great case that I think you will definitely enjoy. So, this is it and then our next episode will be a new series.
0: Yeah. So, we're going to be moving on to um, Kind of like infamous murders and friend murders. Right. So just, you know, be thinking about those things. Yes. And we're not going to cover anything
1: that you probably have heard a lot about. Yeah, we try to be very good about picking cases that you may not be aware of or may not know much about. So that's what this season is all about. And, of course, just bringing you some really great cases. But next week, Steph, I won't be here.
0: Yeah, M.D. is is traveling.
1: I am. For baby girl's birthday. For my daughter's ninth birthday and just wrapping up the summer, uh, the school year. Yeah. We are going to Disney and my kids don't know anything about it.
0: So it's a surprise for everybody.
1: Y'all, M.D. is living out her wildest fantasies and dreams. I am because I just really want my kids to go to Disney and to surprise them. Yeah. So So, next week, Steph will kick off the new series by herself, but I will be back the following week. Yes. Sounds good. We have a new case. Steph, do you have the title of this case?
0: I've entitled this case For the Love of the Game. And who is it about? It's about Sean Taylor. All right. Yeah. So grab
1: your coffee. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. If it's the morning and your wine, if it's the e- evening. But either way, let's get into it. So, let's... Figure out who Sean Taylor was. Who was this man? Who was Sean Taylor? Well, he was born on April 1st, 1983 in Homestead, Florida. He grew up with his great-grandmother and his mother. So his mom and dad fell in love. They had him. And then he was pretty much raised those first several years with his mother and his grandmother. And then he moved in at the age of 11 With his father. And this is, I think, particularly interesting because this kind of devastated him in a lot of ways that he moved away from his mom. Yeah. And you'll see that, that it's kind of the backdrop of what drives Sean Taylor for the rest of his life.
0: Yeah. And he was kind of like the man of the house. Like while he was living with his grand, with great grandmother and mother, he was like
1: he was the firstborn. So. Right. And so when he moved away, he just really kind of wanted to be reunited with his mother and his mother's side of the family. But he knew or I don't want to say he knew, but being with his father had perks like being with, you know, someone who could raise him to be a man and, you know, be what he needed to be as this star f- football player that he ended up becoming. He was baptized Seventh-day Adventist, and Which, we know a little bit about that, right? Yeah, there? shout out to our family
0: in Michigan. I mean, we got a lot of Seventh-day Adventist members in our family, so,
1: yeah, so it was a highlight. Seventh-day Adventist, if you don't know, they honor the Sabbath, and for them, the Sabbath is Saturday. And so he grew up Seventh-day Adventist, and he also grew up in a low-income neighborhood in Miami, Florida. Now, you know, Steph, I kind of have to shout you out right here because they talk about how Florida is the South. Yeah. And that it's a subculture of the United States.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, we have some people out here who who try to, you know, say that Florida is not the South, but exactly where is Florida on the map, M.D.? Is it at the bottom? It 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 is. Which directionally is the south?
1: Yeah, it it is. Well, you know, I think this is what's interesting is that they say Texas is not the south.
0: Yeah, we've heard that as well.
1: Right, I've had people tell me that Texas is only west. And I'm like, but when you look at the map. <laughs> the bottom southwest it is the literally map. the very bottom of the United States. Like we are the bottom, in the middle, like right, right there. <laughs> right.
0: I mean, I know, like I and I have I heard a lot of people they say, you know, because they think of Florida, they automatically picture like paradise, tropical vibes. And I get it. I understand it. it. And it has
1: that for yeah, sure. Yeah, and it has
0: all of that, but it doesn't take away from the fact that it's still the South. It's the South. Directionally, it is the South. And there's a heavy influence of Southern culture there. You know, you got, you know, Uncle Luke. You got Trick
1: Daddy, Trina. I mean, it's the South. It's the South. It's the South. I mean, we're going with it's the South. If you don't agree, then, well, hit us up in the comments. Right. So, let's back to Sean. He attended, uh, Killeen, is it Colleen or Kalan High School? Killian. Killian High School mm-hmm. in Miami, Florida, which was a 2A public school. So he eventually then tra- transferred to Gulliver Prep. So it had a better, you know, educational system. And it also positioned him better in the division of football. So it was a little higher than where he previously came from in the public school. And he was a three-sport athlete. And he wasn't just a three-sport athlete. He was a star at everything he did. He played football, he ran track, and he played basketball, and he was just an all-around star athlete through and through. He just shined at everything that he did. Now, Steph, I have a question for you. Okay. Do three sports often go together? You, I mean, usually, listen,
0: if you can run a football, baby, you can run on the track, right?
1: I mean, I definitely think that track and football often translate. Okay. I don't want to say that track speed, I I will say that track speed doesn't always equate to football speed and football speed doesn't always equate to track speed, but it can. And you do see it happening. But I do think that the fact, I do think the fact that he was a star athlete in all three sports is what is odd. I think you have a lot of athletes that do multiple sports but they may shine in just one sport. The fact that Sean Taylor shined in all three sports is what is really interesting about him. Yeah. Now, he played both on the offense and defensive side of the ball in football, which I thought was also very interesting. And primarily in high school, he was the running back. He was also the defensive back and a linebacker. Mm. He rushed on some of his stats. He rushed for 1,400 yards, and he achieved the state record of 44 touchdowns. Listen to that. 44 touchdowns. Jeez. And he was rushing for more than 200 yards during his time in high school. Wow. I mean, he was a beast on I the I mean, field.
0: like, for real, for real. I know we have said that, like, he's a stud. He's the... Like, but this is a Greek God out here. Y'all. Yeah. I like, mean, like he's I out think here
1: dominating. The we game. watched, so it, for your reference, we watched uh, football life, Sean Taylor, you can YouTube it, but I loved how one of the, one of the people that was talking on the documentary about him said that he, when you saw him on the field, he reminded you that you were merely a human. Mm. and I was like that is such a way to put it like that you know basically he was he was abnormal he was not the norm and you were when you were on the field with him you recognized that but just like he was a star in football like we said he was also a star in track and he won state in the 100 meter dash and the 200 meter and he was the state's top 400 meter sprinter so this kid was just I mean, he was amazing at what he did. Now, he was heavily, obviously, right? He was going to be heavily recruited for college, and he was. But he wanted and he chose to stay in his home state of Florida. And he ended up going to the University of Miami, which is a great place to play football, by oh, yeah. the way. Go Hurricanes. Yes. Um And he knew that he wanted to go to the NFL. It was said by his fiance on the documentary that he slept on an NFL pillow from the time that he was a kid all the way until he was drafted into the NFL. So he knew going to University of Miami that he was going with the sole intent to be drafted in the NFL. So he was focused and he was determined to make a name for himself at the University of Miami. What I thought was really interesting about Sean Taylor is again, going back to high school, he played on both sides of the ball. And this was really important for me because I have a son that plays both sides of the ball and I know he's just 10, but Hey, he, he is amazing to mommy and Most, I think, individuals would want to play on the offensive side of the ball because, right, like that's where you get the touchdowns. That's where you get to shine the most. But when he went to the University of Miami, he told the coaches that he wanted to play on the defensive side of the ball, Steph. Mm. He wanted to be a safety. And that was so just different even for the coaching staff there they were they were like are you sure like we want you as a running back and he's like no I'm coming to play safety and he knew that him going to play safety was super important for him making a name for himself all the way to get to the NFL and boy did it do just that Right now he was kind of going back like he was very much a protector and a provider He took that role on when he lived with his mother and his grandmother. He took that role on and that really meant a lot to him. And so that also added to the just drive to be the best in football so that he could get to where he wanted to go so that he could provide for his family. Steph, what do you think about that? I mean, you know, I think this
0: opens up for a a, like a sub conversation that I think, you know, uh, especially as African-American culture, that's the only culture that I'm going to speak to because I'm acquainted with it. You know, it's that burden that we put on young men, whether we want want to admit it or not, you know, that may go to the NFL. You're, you're good. You're an athlete. You're special and all of the, and you're talented. But then there's this pressure to provide, right? Like you're talented, you're great, all of those things. But You know, what do we often hear young men say who have dreams and aspirations of going to the NFL or the NBA? They often say, well, I just want to buy, you know, such and such for my mom, which, you know, it's funny. But for a lot of people like a Sean Taylor, they took that very seriously. They took on the role of, of being an adult, having these responsibilities that they just shouldn't have had the pressure of of attending to it
1: takes away from the innocence of being a kid right right you know part of being a kid I was talking to my daughter and I was telling her all the things that I had to do and I was like I have to stay up tonight I have to do this I have to do that and I'm just so tired and and I said I just want to be a kid again and she she looked at me and she said oh adulting isn't fun and I'm like no it's not. <laughs> it's ghetto, darling. And, you know, she has the luxury, right, of just being a kid, being a, not really having any real responsibilities. Not that she has none. She does. She has some responsibilities, but very minor, none that really matter. And Sean Taylor should have had that same experience. He shouldn't have felt the need to provide or to be a be successful so that he could provide for his family. Right but he did. And that is what drove him. And you, you know, while we can have that conversation about he shouldn't have had that, that is part of the reason why he was so su- successful. Sure, Because sure. he carried that, that weight of, I have to be successful if my family is to get out of the circumstances that they are in, out of this low income, you know, situation. And his father was very intricate in his success as well. He, you know, they, his friends talked about how his father just drove him. And it just reminds me of the Serena, uh, the Serenas and the Venuses of the world, you know, whose father, you know, woke them up early, made sure they practiced all the time. And that was Sean Taylor's father. They talked about a story where, you know, he would trick them into working out. He would tell them, Hey, I'm going to go get snow. Let's go get snow cones. He'd get there, get them snow cones and then say, well, if you want the snow cone, you have to run all the way home to get it. I'm going to drive home but you guys have to run home to get it. And that's just kind of the father that he was. He drove him to be success and created this mentality in Sean Taylor that you have to outwork your competition. And that's something that I think the black culture is constantly teaching, I think, to our children, is that you always have to be better than everybody else. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped. Right. Right. To be average is to be left behind. Right. To be average is not good enough. To be average is to be subpar in the black culture. And so that was the mentality that he created and instilled in Sean Taylor. Now, Steph, there was this dangerous, like dangerous situation or circumstance that happened to Sean Taylor growing uh, while he was in, was it, was he in college?
0: Well, he was in high school. This happened when he,
1: while he was in high school. So prior to him going to the University of Miami, he had an altercation with a guy in his neighborhood. And this guy pulled a gun on Sean Taylor and actually placed it to his head. And when he pulled the trigger, the gun jammed. Talk about God saving your life. Right. It's not your time. So... You know, as soon as the gun jammed, Sean immediately knocked the gun down and ran home. Right. Used that speed. Yeah, he, right. (laughs) He used that speed and he got home. But this also just created this very, I think this, situations like this created this drive within Sean Taylor that I've got to pull my family out of this neighborhood, out of this circumstance, and just, you know, motivated him even more. Now, you know, he went to the University of Miami, he played as a safety, and he was amazing. He was phenomenal, and he excelled at the University of Miami. While he was there, he met his girlfriend slash fiance, who would, you know, become his fiance, Jackie Garcia. She was, I believe, Puerto Rican, or was she just of Spanish? Spanish descent. Spanish I, yeah. descent. Um, and it's really cute because it, uh, they talk about how after he met her, he was trying his best to learn how to speak Spanish fluently because he just really fell in love with her so much that he wanted to speak her language. After three years of playing at, for the University of Miami, he entered into the NFL draft, and it was You know, some people enter into the draft and they have no idea whether or not they're going to be drafted. He entered into the draft and he knew he was going to be drafted. And usually when you know you're going to be drafted, you go and attend the NFL draft. Not Sean Taylor. Sean Taylor loved his family. And I think that is one of the things that we really want to drive home here about Sean Taylor is that because instead of attending the NFL draft, knowing that he was going to be picked, he decided he was going to stay with his family and be with his entire family as he got drafted. He was the number five draft pick for the Washington Redskins. And a couple of his friends also played there. So he knew he was going you know, to be amongst his peers when he was drafted.
0: Right. So this was just an exciting time. Like if you can just, you know, just your wildest dreams coming true. You know, what you always envisioned for yourself since you were a young kid. Uh it it finally was manifested in his life. And so he was super excited. And there was a mandatory symposium for rookies that they like had to attend. And Sean just was like, What, dude? Like I've been doing this all my life. Ain't nothing they can tell me. Like now I'm doing it on a professional scale. But, baby, I'm finna, I'm finna win. So, there's nothing you can tell me. So, he was just like, I'm going to skip this
1: one. So, this mandatory symposium, what was it about? It was about to teach them what?
0: I mean, it was just how to, you know, the rules, the formalities of being with a professional football league. I mean, I don't really know the ins how and outs. How to be an NFL player? Uh,
1: essentially. Yeah. You know what and I'm saying? And he felt like that was beneath him.
0: Yeah. I mean, it felt like he already knew it. I mean, because, I mean, you've been playing the game since you were, like, five, dude. Like. You, know, no, you can just you teach can me the rules me and regulations at this point. Yeah, right. I probably know it because I've been watching the game for forever now. <laughs> so he skipped out on that, and I'm and, and this is relevant. Um, if you're asking yourself why is this relevant, well, this is this kind of sets the tone to how he was when it came to the media and you know, kind of just
1: rules in general, and then his NFL. perception from not just the media but also his peers and other. NFL
0: teams right Yeah NFL teams And just how he dealt with the rules of the, the system that was put in place Right so he ends up getting A fine but he opted just to Stay in Miami with his family um, And so he Did that got fine no big deal And you know He went on his first game He had several interceptions I mean he was talented we're talking about a talented Person okay and one of the coaches remarked that God created certain people to play football. I thought that was such a good quote because it was him. It was Sean Taylor. He was created to do this. He wasn't new to this. He was true to this. Mm-hmm. And he was disciplined. He was a reliable guy. Um, so when he showed up, when practiced that on, in October, there was a practice that he missed. And many people were like, well, what's going on? Because Sean never missed practice. Well, what ended up happening is he actually went out the night before with a teammate for his birthday, and he had been arrested on suspicion of a DWI. Now, you can go check this footage out, but to me, Sean didn't seem to be inebriated. I mean, maybe you could say, you know, depending on who's judging it, maybe there was something a little off, but I mean, well, he didn't blow into a machine. It was just all kind of like the officer's perception, right? So you, you... It was very easy to argue in court what was going on. So he was released from custody. And at that point, they gave him the option to, um, you know, go to practice because practice was still happening. Well, he said, you know what? I'm not going to go to practice. I'm done with this. And later on, the judge dismissed those charges. So it was easily disproven for whatever reason that he was not inebriated. Okay. Okay. There wasn't enough evidence. So in spring of 2005, um, they started to do what they called voluntary workouts at um, the Washington Redskins headquarters. And it was just that. It was voluntary. You know, you can say, I, I don't want to participate. Or I do want to participate, right? And a lot of the players decided they wanted to go. Well, Sean decided to remain in Miami. Why? To spend time with his great grandmother
1: because he was all about family. Yes, was. that was that
0: was priority that reigned supreme, and he was willing to to do whatever it took to to make sure that his family was priority. And to his defense, his coaches understood, right? He he, he communicated it with his coaches, He communicated with his coaches. He talked to them frequently. And so there was no problem there, right? But the media felt like it was a problem. The The media, you know, they had interactions with Sean. And Sean just wasn't too... He wanted to keep his private life private, right? Like, he wasn't that guy who was trying to be out there. But getting just a little bit wind of this news that he was skipping out on these voluntary practices, they kind of made it be something that it wasn't.
1: Well, you know, and I also just want to mention here and you may get to this stuff, but that while it was a voluntary practice that pretty much the entire team went to, except for him, nobody outworked Sean. Like he may have been home with his grandmother, but he probably was still practicing because the way that people described him was that he he was the one that arrived at the practices before everybody, he stayed after everybody left. He was a hard worker. So I think that's also goes into why his coaches really just didn't think it was a big deal that he was not at this voluntary practice.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and that, and that, and I also believe that, you know, we live in this, this was back in 2005 where, you know, for a lot of people and still to this day, seeing is believing. So if I don't see it, that means it's not happening. But the truth of the matter is, is that that wasn't the case. And so you cannot always trust the perception that is given in media, right? And I feel feel like far too often, um, for black culture and black culture, specifically in America, we know that's not the case because they often don't talk about our cases. That doesn't mean it's not happening. That doesn't mean that crime is not taking place. And I think this is kind of a mirror reflection of how the media tried to make Sean be something that he wasn't. Right. You know what I mean? Like. As you said, the coaches knew what was going on. The people behind the scenes knew that he was a disciplined, reliable person. But just getting wind of something like a DWI, even though he was cleared of those charges, it just—and then he's not going to these practices, and everybody else is. It was just more reason for them to make a hoopla
1: yeah. and, out and, of something and that wasn't the case. Absolutely. And I think Sean Taylor was just not—you know, you have some people—you said he'd like to keep his private life private— And you have some people that love to be in front of the camera, love to respond to the media, love to have comments. Right. We know those players. Even today, we can identify who those players are. If you watch sports or even if you don't watch sports, maybe you're one of our listeners who's like, listen, MD and Steph, I don't even do this sports thing. Right. But if you can relate this to even with music artists. Right. You have those that are very private, that don't really do the media. And then you have those that are media, you know, whores, so to speak, that are constantly. Well, Sean Taylor was was not that. Sean Taylor didn't entertain the media. He has very little. If you were to go Google and YouTube Sean Taylor and interviews, you're not going to find many. There just wasn't a lot.
0: Yeah, he was to himself. And I think that just because you don't know a lot about a person doesn't make them guilty. Because you don't know, and I think this is a this is this is a very blazing example, a blaring example of why you shouldn't assume. So anyway, so these spring 2005, these voluntary workouts are happening. His coaches are aware of this situation, but simultaneously while he's at home with his great-grandmother, news broke that he was involved in in some type of an assault that happened when his ATVs were stolen from him. Now, Taylor was charged with assault. However, no one else was charged who was involved in the situation. A little sketch But once the media got wind of this situation and because Sean was very private and didn't want to share with the media what happened, they were able to then create their own narrative of the accounts of what happened. And so Sean was then painted in an even more negative light, right? So he had the situation with the DWI, even though he was cleared of those charges, but then they got wind of the voluntary workouts he wasn't showing up to. And then this situation happens where he was the only person who was charged in an assault that happened with his, when his ATVs, his ATVs were stolen.
1: (laughs) But it's it's
0: nuts. So the media, they, they drew their own conclusions and had their own interpretations of the events that took place. Now, we have to talk about Sean Taylor's work ethic because, I mean, I almost entitled this episode Work Ethic because, like, literally... I think that when I hear stories like Sean Taylor, when I hear stories about Michael Jordan, I hear stories about just people who are very inspirational. You have to compliment. You have to bring up their work ethic because honestly, yes, they're talented, but their work ethic is what sets them apart. And so he put in the work. He was an extraordinary athlete. Actually, one of the guys, MD kind of touched on this, but one of the guys um, who was new to the team, came onto the team and said, you know, Hey, why is this car always at the facility? Like, it, it I mean, it could be in the morning. It could be in the evening. Why is it always here? Like it never leaves. Well, that guy soon found out that that was Sean Taylor's vehicle. He would show up at practice early in the morning, stay at the facility, do workouts, and then run
1: home. You heard me right. Run After home. After the
0: practice.
1: After After the practice. already practicing. Right. And he would participate in three different practices because apparently they had, like, several different sessions you could attend. You could attend the 9 o'clock practice. You could attend the 12 o'clock or whatever, right? He would attend every single one. He'd arrive before the 9 o'clock practice, practice by itself, attend all of the sessions, and like Steph said, run home. Run home, dude.
0: And I mean, and I just, you could... Like, for me, listening to this, you know, um, you saw mirror reflections of his father, what his father put into him. And I just want to take a moment, just a brief moment to encourage the parents. What you put into your kids when they're small, it comes out. OK, it comes out. And, and so his biblical. father. Go ahead. I said that's biblical. Train it up is. A child in it the way It is. That they
1: should go. And they will not depart
0: Absolutely And so his father put into him When he had him running home on the highway You know, he, he took that same mentality And took that and applied that Even when he made his dreams come true, right? Like he still was doing the work that was necessary um, To maintain his dreams So in 2005, everything's going well for him I mean, He's doing great um, But there was a situation where him and a fellow teammate decided they wanted to tape up their mask. And at this time in the NFL, you couldn't do that. You were going to receive a fine. I think the team receives a fine if you do that, right? Not, and maybe individually you receive a fine too, but the team for sure receives one. So like, he had taped up his mask um, or his helmet, and his coach was like, what are you doing? Like, You can't do that. So they got fined for it. And the next game, Shine did the exact same thing, and his his coach saw it before he went out on the field. His coach took it, gave him a new one, and when he looked at him when he went out, his mask was taped up again so this just shows you like even these little small things right like shine he just was he was he was his own man, and he kind of went, he bucked against the rules, but in a very complimentary way in my mind, you know, so it showed his individualism. Um, and it showed that he had, you know, he had some, he had some, he had some spark, you know, he was, he was his own person. Now in May, 2006, he had his daughter with his girlfriend, Jackie. Um, and once again, you are able to see his nurturing, Protector, you know, he was a he was such a family man. I love that about him. He absolutely adored his family and he was so excited to have his daughter. Um, his sister remarked that you know, she he would just like, You can't touch my baby, my newborn baby, and that kind of just made me laugh because when you have your newborn and you a new parent, MD, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah,
1: you're like, Baby, you
0: can't touch what you doing. Wash your hands, it's flu season, get your shot.
1: Yeah, first
0: the firstborn, it hits different. It does, it does. And he was just definitely in love with her. He was in love with his his um, girlfriend at the time. Everything was going really well for him. So in the two thousand five two thousand six season, um, he was doing well. He earned his first trip to the Pro Bowl. Um, he was able to like fulfill his ultimate dream of buying his family a house and reunited his maternal side of his family which was just it was dreams come true I mean because I'm telling y'all if y'all go back and listen to this documentary they say so many times how much that this was his dream this is what he wanted this is what this is why he did what he did so he bought his family a house in Miami um and so the dream was was here it arrived and after the birth of his daughter who her name is Jackie as well so baby Jackie and his his girlfriend Jackie um, wanted to move to Virginia full time. So he was, he was looking to make a transition, right? So in 2007, halfway through the season, he actually sprained his right knee. And the same day that he was injured, his mother made headlines. So he's in the locker room looking at the news and he sees that his mother, who was down at the Miami, Florida house, that he just purchased someone was trying to break into the home so he found out and he actually said to one of his teammates like man whoever tried to break in they better be lucky that I wasn't home because usually under normal circumstances his his girlfriend would be there obviously family members would be there and their baby would be there so like he just kind of felt like it's good that I wasn't there because you know that would have been bad for whoever tried to do that. So he was injured. And it just so happened that they had a game in Tampa, Florida. So he flew back to Miami to kind of just like check in on the family, make sure everybody was straight. And also he was going to go to Tampa and go to that game. Even though he wasn't playing, he was still, you know, scheduled to be there. So he arrives in Miami and on on a Sunday, because
1: price, go to your happy price, price line.
0: Having dinner with Jackie and their baby, they go on a bike ride. And his girlfriend Jackie described the day as it was just a typical day. Like they didn't do anything out of the ordinary. But the one thing that she said is that she just sensed like a tremendous peace over him that she couldn't describe. Like he, you know, um, it, it's reminiscent of, of something that. MD and I experienced, I don't believe MD was at church that day, but my aunt, right before she passed, I mean, literally right before she passed, she got up and she said, you know, I'm at peace with life. If, if I was to die tomorrow, my life is fulfilled. I've done everything I wanted to do. I've loved, I've loved my children. I've loved my husband and I'm good. And that was kind of like the, the, the sentiment I got from Jackie when she was talking, like, He was good. He had his baby. He had fulfilled a lot of his dreams of bringing his family together, going to the NFL. You know, he was good and he he was at a good place. So on early Monday morning, Taylor heard someone breaking into the house. Now, I also want to say that initially, like his mother, when they experienced that first break in, She opted to stay somewhere else. Like she didn't go back into the home. But, you know, apparently he felt um, comfortable enough being in the house. So he hears somebody trying to break in. He immediately grabs his daughter and um, Jackie. They go into the room. They kind of barricade themselves into the master bedroom. Now he goes and he grabs a machete that he kept underneath his bed for defense. Like just in case. Well, the robbers knocked down the bedroom door, two shots were fired at Sean, and one bullet hit his upper leg, hitting his um, femoral artery, which is one of your main arteries that pumps blood throughout your body, right? And the other bullet hit the wall. Now, Pedro Taylor, which is Sean Taylor's father, immediately got on camera, he was right Well, let me say, Sean Taylor was rushed to the hospital, right? They're trying to just perform life-saving measures to just save his life. Now, his father, Pedro Taylor, tells reporters that his son was fighting for his life. And, you know, the prayer, the sentiments of everybody was that he would just pull through. He had lost so much blood. He had a blood transfusion. And for a brief moment... You know, there was a glimmer of hope. You know, he had squeezed one of his family members' hands. Um, he moved his eyes in response to them, talking to them. And his teammates, and I want to say his teammates' His teammates' names, Clinton Porteous, which knew, he played football with T- Sean back at the University of Miami, and his teammate, which he met on the Washington Redskins, Ryan Clark, they were very instrumental in, like, the life of Sean Taylor while he was playing for the Redskins. And Clinton said to, um said in his interview, he said that, you know, for him, it was just like, well, if he just pulls through the night, like, then, you know, it's kind of like, then we can see the other side. We can see him recovering. We can see him, you know... Possibly getting back into the game, but we just have to see him pulling through the night and he had actually went as I already said they had a game in Tampa. So they were already in Florida. So he goes to the hospital and you know, there's all these promising things that are happening the squeezing squeezing of the hands the movement of the eyes and no later that then he leaves the hospital maybe an hour later a coach comes in and informs him that Sean didn't pull through. And he passed away. And it was absolutely devastating to everyone. And Sean was only 24 years old
1: mm. when
0: he died. He was young. So
1: young. So young. Had he, he had not even live lived life. life. Yeah. Right. So, you know,
0: now I have to say this once again. The media tried to imply that, you know, oh, he's this bad boy. Something must have happened. He had to have done something. And they did this, y'all, right in the midst of him passing away. They didn't wait. There wasn't weeks in between. Right when he passed away, they tried to create this narrative that somehow it was his fault for being shot.
1: Right. Like one of the ESPN uh, newscasters you linked, basically, like if you live a, a fast life or you live a thug's life, you died, thug's death. I mean, he didn't, those are not his words. So right, but it was clear, like. But that was the implication of what he said. And I think that this is indicative of what happens oftentimes in our culture is someone will die and we will almost justify they died because. Listen, nobody deserves to be murdered. Nobody deserves to to die, no, you know, like to die by the hands of someone else. That's just not how you should ever paint it. And you should never go look at, well, let me see what they did wrong to bring this on themselves. Right. And I think as,
0: as media, or even, even I don't, you know, MD and I, we're just podcasters. We're not journalists, none of that. But I think we try to be very careful, ever so careful to present, you know, the sides that we're aware of. And even in our takeaways, we try to be very, we try to, you know, tiptoe and try to only speak to things that we know, because, you know, it's, you gotta be fair, as fair as you can be. And the truth of the matter is that the media had it out for Sean because he was not as open as other, you know, football players were. And they tried to create a narrative out of facts that, or only facts that they were aware of right because he never Sean never got on and said exactly what happened like in that ATV situation or his DW suspicion of DWI so it, it it's just so sad and it wasn't fair to his family that they did that like they created this picture of him that just wasn't true but let's talk about what actually happened
1: right what, did what they we decide? actually
0: the facts
1: so the facts is that he threw this birthday party, I believe it was a week before. Yeah. Before, his, before this happened, he threw this birthday party at his house. And we've talked about how generous, or maybe we haven't talked in depth, but Sean Taylor was very generous with his money and with his giving. When he made it to the NFL, his family made it to the NFL, you know, like- When I became an attorney, one of the things that my mom and my, and Steph said was, we made it, we're attorneys now, you know, and that's the same sentiment that Sean Taylor had. It's like, I arrived, we all arrived and he, you know, that's how he treated his family. So he threw this birthday party for his, his younger sister and all of their friends and family attended this birthday party. And at this party, Sean Taylor is you know, seen giving out bags of money and, you know, just being very generous with his giving and his gifts to his younger sister and to those that were there. And so this kind of led to some of the friends that his sister had just kind of scoping that out and saying, hmm, that's interesting. You know, like, maybe maybe I can get in on this and just being jealous of really his kindness and his generosity. And so, you know, they they discovered that the four men that actually broke into Sean Taylor's house and ultimately took his life were his younger sister's friends who attended this party.
0: Yeah, I mean, and and not only was he just giving like like he was giving wads of cash to his brother and sisters like to his family, but these same boys that he brought that that his sister brought with them to this party, he hired them to do like miscellaneous work for his house, like to to be the pool boy, to you know gave gave them work so that they could get some money. Right, like it wasn't like oh I'm just handing out. Even if it was like, I'm just handing out this money to my family. That should still be okay. But, you know, he was like, I'm going to look out for y'all too. Like, you know, y'all come do some work for me. I'll give you some money. Like, it was nothing for him. And they still felt
1: like they wanted to hit a lick. Right. They wanted more. They were greedy. And so they, they were the ones that attempted to burglarize the house the day before. And they weren't successful. So they decided to come back. The very next day, and this was the day that Sean Taylor, his his fiance and his daughter were in the home. And when they heard something, the noise downstairs, his fiance said, Sean Taylor immediately got up and got his machete that was underneath his bed and approached the door. And as soon as he opens the door, he was shot. And I remember when I learned these facts from another documentary they talked about how the reason why Sean Taylor didn't have a gun, because I know I I thought I thought that's so strange that he didn't have a gun and why he walked to. The, I mean a machete is is deadly for sure. You can do some damage with a machete, right? But you can't do a lot of damage with a machete against the gun. And the reason Sean Taylor didn't have a gun is because remember those assault charges you were talking about mm-hmm. earlier. Well, as a result of those assault charges, he could no longer lawfully have a gun. When you're charged with a felony, that's one of the things that they take away from you. Your right to be able to possess a firearm. Wow. I didn't know that. So he, as a result of that, didn't have any guns in the house. And so he was really kind of up against...
0: Yeah, you can't you can't win a, a can't, gunfight bringing a the knife.
1: knife. You're just not going to win. But these four men were actually charged with felony second degree murder initially. Um, those charges uh, carried a maximum sentence of life in prison. They were ac- actually actually increased to first degree murder, um, and the death penalty was actually on the table. But they ended up getting life in prison on November fourth. A jury found. Eric Riviera Jr. guilty of second-degree murder and armed robbery, which carried a life uh, imprisonment imprisonment sentence. On January 23rd, 2014, a circuit judge sentenced him to 571 and a half years in prison. I thought that in a half years was Mm -hmm. really interesting, but ultimately that's life. On June 10th, Jalen Scott Mitchell was convicted of Taylor's murder and he was also sentenced to life in prison. On April 1st, 2015, Charles Wardlow, the fourth person that was charged with the death of Taylor was sentenced to 30 years in prison. And finally, Timmy Timmy Lee Brown was sentenced to 18 years in prison. And the reason he got the least amount the least amount of time is because of a plea agreement. So he was the, if you're the first to sing, you get the least amount of time. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Now, you know, as you can imagine, his sister was very shocked to discover that the people that were responsible for her brother's murder were people that she introduced to Sean Taylor, that she brought in Sean Taylor's life. And, you know, my heart really goes out to her because I can only imagine the guilt that she must live with.
0: Yeah. I mean, how can you not feel guilty? I mean, it it really wasn't her fault. And I know she's probably able to intellectually, like, you know, deduct that it was not her fault. But, you know, it's that that guilt that, you know, maybe it could have went a different way had I never brought these guys or, you know, it sucks.
1: Yeah, it, it really does. But Taylor was actually inducted, um, Post say that word stuff for me.
0: Posthumous, posthumously.
1: Yes, Uh to the into the forty third hall, hall of fame of the Washington Redskins Ring of Fame on November thirtieth, two thousand eight, and you know he was just honored for being such a phenomenal safety and football player. He only played for a few seasons in the NFL, and yet he is regarded as one of the best to ever do it. Mm -hmm. They've retired his number. Um,
0: Well, at least the Washington Redskins have. They retired his number. Um, Yeah. And his little brother, like his father, was on this documentary, um, you know, discussing his son, and just, you know, his legacy and what he was able to to bring to the game of football in the 24 years that he played. But he actually has a little brother. And I I don't know, I was unable to find out, um, you know, if his brother's playing, like, in college, because by this time, like, football life was a couple, of, man, maybe even 10 years ago. Um, but, you know, his... At the time of this documentary, his brother was playing and his brother looks just like him, just like Spitting Sean So, you know, his father is still pouring into his kids. And I thought if for nothing else, that's such a good legacy to leave behind. The fact that his father is still... Out here trying to make sure that his kids make something of themselves. And what
1: about his daughter? What about Shantana's
0: So, Jackie is now um, 17 years old. Um, now, she continues in her father's legacy. She plays sports. She's an athlete, but she often goes to, like, events where they're honoring him. Um, she speaks about gun violence. Um and, you know, her mother was an athlete, too. Her mom played soccer at uh, University of Miami. So she's just a natural-born athlete. She just signed um, to to do volleyball a- in college. So she's doing well. She's doing well. And she, she definitely looks like her dad. And she is her father's legacy moving forward. For so, sure. For
1: sure. So, yeah, if you are interested in this case and would like to just see the documentary for yourself, go to A Football Life and type in Sean Taylor.
0: Yeah, check it out. There's it's, a there's a very really good
1: documentary. I really enjoyed it. And I know that some of our listeners are not big sports fans, but I think, you know, you can always appreciate a good true crime story. And that's exactly what this is at the end of the day.
0: Right. So let's slide on to the takeaways.
1: So, Steph, what you think? Um,
0: You know, for me, I think you have—I think the biggest takeaway that I I had in this case is you have to um, live the best life now. And I know that's, like, so cliche, and oh, my gosh, I've heard that so many times before. But you just think about people who have died young, and you think about how much they've accomplished in that short amount of time that they were here— and we have to make the most out of our lives. And I think Sean Taylor, for for what it was worth, he loved his family fiercely. He did everything he could for them. That was his his driving force. And um, he loved hard. He played football incredibly. He left the legacy that most people won't leave, leave playing the game of football for forever. You know who have outlived him, right? So for me, I really loved and enjoyed just the man behind the ball, man. It was it, it was amazing to see his work ethic, how he maintained it, and how much he loved his family because he really loved them. So do what you're supposed to do. He knew his purpose and why he was here, and I think he executed it perfectly. And it's sad that he was taken out at 24 years old, but he lived. A hell of a life while he was here in my opinion
1: for sure I think you know one of the things that I when I after I finished watching this documentary I said you know a lot of people say I'm all about my family I love my family I'm all about my family but and while he may have said those things he demonstrated that he demonstrated that in his actions it was his priority And you saw that in how he lived his life. I thought that was so phenomenal. It just really struck a chord with me. I really related to that and really appreciated that. Uh, Before I give you my takeaway, I just, because this goes into part of my takeaway, I actually have two, is, you know, Steph actually did some additional research on what happened to Sean Taylor's estate when he died, which is something that Steph and I are always super interested in. Because, you know, more often than not, people don't have a will. So that's why this is one of my takeaways. Get a will. You, Even if you think you don't have a lot, get Mm -hmm. a will. You need a will. I know I'm an attorney. I know I'm pushing things that seems real legal. But seriously, get a will. Sean Taylor did not leave a will. He did not have a will, which means that his state estate was divided and broken up by the courts, right? So the the, the state, the actual state of Florida was in charge of dividing his estate. Because he didn't have a will, the bulk of his estate went to his daughter, which it should go to his daughter, right? Right. He probably wanted the most of his estate to go to his daughter. He had a $5.8 million estate upon his death. So the bulk of his estate went to his daughter and then some of his life insurance went to his sister, who he named as a beneficiary. And then he had a joint account with his, his father and that money went to his father and he left a house, that house to his mother. That was in his mother's name. But the reason I'm bringing this up is because his mother ended up being very frustrated that she didn't get more from his estate. And so I just say this to say, my takeaway is, one of my takeaways is, get a will, and even if you can't afford to go get an attorney to do your own will, or to do your will for you, write your own will, literally, just write it, write it on a piece of paper, and tell and sign it, put a date, write it out, seal it up, and tell somebody where it is, so that they can go get it upon your death. Right, Because otherwise, people, your family, so as he worked so hard to give to his family and to provide for his family and to bring his family together, and then even upon his death, his family was somewhat divided because some people wanted more than what they received. Right. So that's one of my takeaways. My last takeaway is greed can really ruin a lot of things. These, pe- these people that took... Sean Taylor's life were greedy. They were greedy and money, the love of money is the root of all evil and it absolutely killed Sean Taylor. Their desire to have more than what they were given, to have more than what they were deserved and or owed, ultimately resulted in Sean Taylor's demise. And that is just utterly tragic. It is It is. Utterly tragic and senseless, mm-hmm. because here this man was so generous and was generous to them, right? To them, he and was generous. It didn't to owe them him a thing. Not a thing. Not one thing. And was probably paying them more than what they were deserved to clean his pool, and yet they were greedy. And so, you know, I just think that you have to be mindful of that, right? There are people around you that are hating on what you have, but looking like they're not hating, Hmm. looking like they're celebrating your successes, but really they are rooting for your demise and doing everything that they can to pull you down. So you got to be careful. So that's my takeaway is greed is the, is the, is, you know, can result in, in death, unfortunately, and get a wheel. And get a wheel. So that's our story. That's our case for today. Yes, y'all. So, You
0: know, if you enjoyed this episode, definitely share if you care. I want to go ahead and encourage you guys to leave us a review. So for the first five people who leave us a review, not just rate, but leave us a review, we will randomly, randomly pick a name. So just leave a review and then we'll randomly throw y'all's name in this like little system MD has no idea what I'm talking about, but there is like a little system you can randomly pick five winners. So how about that? So leave a comment, rate, review. Let us know what y'all are thinking. And we will do a giveaway at the end of the month. So when MD returns, we will have a winner or we will have our five winners, right? So share if you care, if you like this episode, Um, shout out. I do not know your name, but shout out to one of our uh, listeners who was like, I love y'all's podcast. Y'all are my favorite podcast, but I ain't feeling this sports. I ain't really feeling this sports. (laughs) Girl, I feel you. Cause like, it's not my bag either. But we are moving on now. We just hope that for anybody who has liked it, which we've gotten feedback. Y'all like it. But this is for you,
1: girl. We're moving on. We're moving on. But thank you for giving us that <laughs> feedback. Yes, we love We you. really do appreciate all feedback, even when it's not necessarily what we want to hear. So we read all of your comments and all of your reviews and all of your DMs. So keep them coming. And until next time. Bye, friends.